Hello, everybody. You are listening to No Filler with Joe Miller, where we talk about NBA basketball. Lots of news going on this week. We had a trade this weekend featuring former MVP Derek Rose. Another headline with Kyle Lowry potentially being on the trade block. Some people think he might be gone by the deadline this year. We had two TNT games last night with the Rockets facing the Pelicans and the Celtics coming up short against the Utah Jazz. And we have two games tonight on ESPN with the Hawks facing the Dallas Mavericks and the Milwaukee Bucks going to face the Phoenix Suns. Joining me to help me break all this down, friend of show, Gerald Hopkins. Gerald, how's it going? Uh, I could be better. Uh, <laughs> I won't lie there. Right now, I'm sitting on the fact that I didn't, I dropped my coffee coming in here. I tried the new Duncan pink velvet something. I had mm-hmm. it on top of my car. I closed my door and it just went whew, straight down off my car and spilled. <laughs> so I've had better days, but uh, Joe, you gave me a chance this week to watch a little bit of NBA basketball, something I usually don't get a chance to do with my busy schedule. I'm, I sound <laughs> like I'm flexing. I'm really not. Um, so it's nice to like sit down and like to, you know last night watching some of those TNT games, right. remembering that Shaq's kind of funny. His glasses don't fit. <laughs> um, but it was fun to watch some of these games. I'm excited to be on. No, absolutely. I was especially excited for this one because I wanted to see the Donovan Mitchell post game interaction with Shaq, but they just didn't give Shaq the question at the end there. I was kind of. Thank God. <laughs> honestly, probably a good thing if you watch the last <laughs> interaction between those two. But no, I was a little disappointed there. I kind of wanted some more NBA Twitter drama. Some. You need more? You need more NBA Twitter <laughs> Are you going to sit here and tell me I came on this show and you need more NBA Twitter drama? That's all the NBA is. <laughs> No, the, Twitter. the NBA, I, I, I've talked to this about to a lot of people, but the NBA is definitely the most Twitter sport, oh, I think, yeah. of all of the big ones. Like, baseball and hockey are virtually, like, non-existent. Like, they pop up every now and then, but... Those are all the nerd corners. Like, all the uh, baseball and, like, NHL people, you find, like, the great weird statistics that don't really matter, but they're right. really fun to think about, right? Like, you're like, oh, yeah, this dude hits 33.8% into the middle left gap of the outfield. <laughs> and you're like, that's great. Why aren't you in an MLB front office, right? <laughs> or, like, or somebody's going to try to define possession in hockey. And you're right. like, I don't know how you did it, but good luck like but like the nba it's kind of funny because yeah first of all the players and i'm not i'm again i know we have a lot to talk to you about, right so i'm gonna try to be quick right you have a lot of player empowerment and the ability that stars are really the center focus of the nba yeah. so they create their own fun right <laughs> interviews right like any russell westbrook interview could be a twitter clip right. there's always that opportunity lebron james could just tweet out out of nowhere and it could be something that just like starts the engines it's not the same if like lamar jackson even tweets out something because yeah he has less capital and it like even though he's an amazing quarterback you still need a couple good receivers you need some good running backs because you could right. be a good quarterback on a bad team it's really hard to be a really good player on a bad team unless you're Zach yeah. Levine and as a Bulls fan I understand that so <laughs> like it's that's a, it's that's why this twi- like the world of Twitter really loves the NBA because it's probably close as you can get to some of these stars in compared to other no, sports ab- absolutely like when you see what one thing I like about just the NBA aesthetically is you see these guys and they're wearing jerseys and shorts, but like compared to hockey, baseball or football, you don't have that like physical connection, at least being able to like see them where with NBA players, like, you know what tattoos like LeBron has like on his left arm. I remember Kent Bazemore has that, has that like one emoji, I think like on his like right shoulder, (laughs) like you just get like a very personal connection where like in the NFL, I know football is much more popular in this country. That's not really disputable, but you just you don't see like these star players' faces that much. Like mainly, you'll see like quarterbacks on the bench, but that's really it in terms of the NFL. But before we get going, I want to ask ask you this. I ask most guests this question before we get going. But what's your favorite team in the NBA, and how long have you been watching? So um, I wore this in because I knew you were going to ask me this question. Right, I wore my <laughs> Bulls hat. My parents got me for Christmas this year. Thank you, mom and dad. Um, <laughs> I've been a diehard Bulls fan forever. Um, I've just been a basketball nerd for a long time right so the nba has kind of trickled into that i really started watching once derrick rose was drafted like seriously as a in a young age it's kind of what stuff i remember um but i've been watching college basketball and just a bunch of high school basketball too in this in chicago for as long as, long as i can remember so even my nba knowledge is still kind of getting there you know here right. and there but like i try to be a little bit of a nerd about it and i'm not good enough yet to be a nerd but <laughs> we're working on it but yeah i've been watching the nba basically since Derrick Rose was drafted to the Bulls because that was a really big moment. Yeah, good deal, good deal. Now, Derrick Rose, near and dear to uh, all Memphis fans' hearts. Uh, a little bit of a love-hate relationship there with some of those missed free throws, but that, that that's neither here nor there. Oh speaking my God. of, Jesus, speaking relax. of Derrick Rose, by the way, 
Let's jump into the trade that happened last Super Bowl Sunday. This was the big uh, <laughs> news of the day. The game wasn't really that much to watch, but former MVP Derrick Rose was sent to the Knicks, reuniting him with coach Tom Thibodeau. Fun fact, he's coached Derrick Rose at every NBA spot he's been in so far, which is kind of crazy. Dennis Smith Jr. and a Charlotte Hornets second round pick are being sent in exchange back to the Detroit Pistons. So, just to reiterate that, Dennis Smith Jr. and a 2021 second-round pick, which is probably going to be in that top 40 range, are going to the Detroit Pistons, and the New York Knicks are getting Derrick Rose. I think this is good for the Knicks, at least for this season, because they're 26th right now in offensive efficiency. They've struggled a little bit on that end, and Dennis Smith Jr. has just been getting lost in the rotation. He's played three games so far this season. He was he even asked the New York Knicks if they would demote him to the G League just so he would get some playing time. So Derrick Rose, I think, is going to play more minutes, as we saw a little bit last night. He played about 20 minutes. He didn't shoot that well, but it's his first game there. Going to cut him a little bit of slack. So... I think this is good for the Knicks. What do you think about this trade so far? So this is kind of one of these things where everyone complained about with the Knicks, this lack of culture, this lack of identity, mm-hmm. and all these, like, the like the things that we love to talk about in especially sports media right. that we really can't put a thumb on, right? Like, what is culture? You know, exactly. It's, <laughs> right. like, it's a great thing that when teams are winning, oh, look at Greg Popovich. He has a culture. Right. Even though we don't really know what that really means. It's pretty means. amorphous. Yeah, yeah, we don't know what it is. But um, it's in mind these things where – Tom Thibodeau knows what he can get out of Derrick Rose. And I'm kind of I'm intrigued in this with this trade because you didn't necessarily need Derrick Rose, but it's nice to ha- it's nice to have him and you kind of got him for a decent price. Right. Um my personal bias here is like, you know, I want to see Derrick Rose like on the Clippers, right? I want to see him on the Lakers. I want to see him I want to see Quinn Cook even though as a Duke fan that hurts my heart to say that a little, but as you know, as a Bulls fan, a Derrick Rose fan, I want to see him with, you know, LeBron and Taylor Horton Tucker just daring it up. But now he's going to be part of this next jump. Because now the Knicks look competent, right? And that's something we haven't seen in a really long time. You just kind of had a bunch of overpaid players and young guys that really don't get a chance to do what they want or just have people around them that will make them better. You know, like we always – we get into this real talk, and I do a show about rebuilding teams, so I know a bit about the Knicks, right? (laughs) So, like, we get into this thought of, like, if we just put a bunch of young guys together, they'll grow together, they'll work together. That's great and all until you you pay, like, Julius Randle tons of money and you want him to be a star. And you're like, well, why is R.J. Barrett not getting the ball? Right? Why are we not running him in plays right. that we think he's going to be successful? And well, it's because you paid R.J. You paid Julius Randle tons of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but now with that, with the switch in ownership, you're kind of seeing this. They didn't mess up. They didn't do what they usually did, which is overpay some guys. They got a lot of Kentucky guys, but they're like, <laughs> we're not going to win. So right. let's at least get people we trust, we know. And Derrick Rose is going to be a part of that piece, right? You have Barrett. Uh, you have what's his name? That's just totally jumping off of my head. Emmanuel quickly. Yeah, quickly. Right. That now. Derrick Rose understands what he's going to be in his career, right? He's not expecting to start. He's not expecting to put up 35 minutes. But he can work with these two. And I think Mm -hmm. there's already a poster somewhere that said that, like, Derrick was, like, the first thing he did was he came in and he talked to Quigley and uh, Barrett took him out to, like, lunch or something, gave him his number and said, if you need anything, call me. That's why you bring a guy like him in. For Dennis Smith Jr., who I personally love. I remember him at NC State. That guy, he's a just athletic boy guard. It's so hard to give up on him. But he just hasn't done it. You know, he's... Doesn't make great reads, great decision making. He just has such an athletic frame and just right. balance it. It's really hard to be like, no, don't do it for Dennis Smith Jr., but he hasn't worked anywhere. So it just kind of hurts because how much do you value that talent just in that verticality and all those things that you don't see often for somebody who hasn't just gelled anywhere? And it's frustrating to see because you see his rookie year in Dallas. Those are his best numbers. Ever since that season, he's not been able to replicate that. And like you're saying, if you go back and read draft profiles on Dennis Smith Jr., they all tout his athleticism. But they the, these profiles, they also mention just how as a playmaker and as a shooter, he doesn't quite impact the game in the same way. So unless Dennis Smith Jr. develops a good three-point shot, if he becomes a better playmaker... I could see Dennis Smith Jr. potentially out of the league in the next few years just because he's not been able to stick. Where I wrote this down in my notes here. Last season, there were three guys that Dennis Smith Jr. was losing playoff time to, or not play, or just kind of minutes to in general. Alfred Payton, who is about an average point guard, if we're being honest. Reggie Bullock, who is sort of a good bench point guard who you can have like to space the floor. And then Frank Nielakina, who is basically only good on the defensive end. So Dennis Smith Jr., who was drafted number seven overall by the Dallas Mavericks, that has to be a disappointment at this point. 
It's well, just bad. Wasn't he part of the Porzingis trade? He was part of the Porzingis and trade, yeah. If it were, and I'm going to live in a really weird timeline right now. I'm going to take <laughs> you down a road. If it, the Mavs are really kind of not doing what they're doing. But like, if they're struggling like they are the rest of the season. Right. That pick that came with that Porzingis trade. No, that's going to be huge. Could be could totally shift how we thought about this trade at first, right? At first, and I remember I was one of the people that I'm like, how do you trade Porzingis? How do you get rid of a guy right. that finally gives New York some something to like enjoy? Exactly. And yeah. now we're looking about this, and for the longest time, it's like, this was a dumb trade. You got a couple picks, but you got rid of your superstar because he didn't want to be here. That's kind of lame. Now if you get a nice pick and Porzingis is still hurting, you know, He's already had like I think 13 injuries to his lower body in some capacity. Yeah. That's not good. Like I don't know how any other ways to phrase that. And like if it, he keeps struggling and not on and off the court, you gave up a lot for him. If you're the Mavs, right? You gave up Dennis Smith Jr. Okay, granted we're, we've already talked about how that wasn't <laughs> a big deal. You gave up some picks, and in return you got a guy that's gonna really kind of keep you stuck because you don't want to get rid of him because you committed so much to him. Right. And he's also really good when he's out there. And instead, you gave the Knicks an opportunity to build on a team that is finally competent. So it's we're almost in this timeline where that trade actually turns around on its head and the Knicks win it when nobody, including me, thought that that was a good trade in any capacity. And it's worth noting there are no protections whatsoever on that pick. So if the Mavericks don't turn this season around, if they, we'll talk about the Mavericks a little bit later with the Hawks preview, but if the Mavericks don't turn this around, that draft pick could really, really be bad, especially. Could you imagine if the Knicks lucked into, like, the number three pick? Hey, with the weird draft odds now, that's, right. a, that's a reality, which is the scary part, right? Like, that's how the Pelicans got Zion. Pelicans exactly. are, like, the ninth seed. And now, like, and I, I personally am not a fan of some of this stuff because, like, if you stink, you shouldn't be penalized right. necessarily all the time. Um, but that's a whole different world of conversation. But, like, yeah, if it, the Mavs, like, are in the playing tournament and they have a bad game, right, and now they're outside of the, you know, they're outside of the playoff realms, you know, there's, that's a lottery pick just like that. And we don't know right. what the Knicks are going to look like at the end of this year. That's There's a lot of things here that, like, it's weird. It's really weird. You never can really understand a trade until everything goes down. And we're kind of seeing that right now with the Porzingis move and Dennis Smith being moved and all these other, like, small things. Right, and... I saw a lot of people were kind of critiquing, like, ah, oh, the Knicks gave up a second-round pick to get Derrick Rose. They're going to have their own first-round pick this year. They're going to have the Dallas Mavericks first-round pick. And earlier with the Tobias Harris trade back to Philadelphia a few years ago, they have Detroit's second-round pick this season. So they're going to have three picks in that top 35 range of the draft. I, I think they were going to have to move off of one of these picks. I mean, it, it's hard to bring in four rookies to your roster, even if you are a team like the Knicks that might be a little below average. They, they were going to have to move one of these picks, and adding Derrick Rose does improve this team. They're 26th in offensive efficiency right now, which is not very good. <laughs> Bottom five in the league. So Derrick Rose, like you were mentioning earlier, is a guy who can realistically only give you about 24, 23 minutes a game just because of the Achilles injury he sustained as well as all the other lower leg injuries he's had. But I think Derrick Rose improves this team, and I think the Knicks really didn't give up that much. They gave up Dennis Smith Jr. and a second-round pick that they were probably going to have to part ways with anyway in some capacity. So I like that the Knicks are trying to maybe make it to the play-in tournament or try to make the lower part of the playoff bracket. And if you're a team like the Knicks, it's not like you're a small market team that needs to tank to get good guys to come to your franchise. If the I, Knicks... Are you sure about that? Are you are you are you sure? And okay, maybe this year no. Right. But like for the last ten years, the Knicks have been swinging and striking out on getting superstars there. Because I... what? Is, and I think now, dude, like, there's some optimism. Right. But like for the longest time, and I don't know if we could just flip flip the switch because it's the Knicks. No, that, that's fair. That like. We can be like, yeah, the Knicks are gonna they're gonna bring in somebody. They're supposed to bring in Kyrie and Kevin Durant. They're right. supposed to get Zion, right? <laughs> you know, last guy you had that really signed there and determined was Carmelo. Right. And that was and, a trade too. You know, yeah. and he got and so like and I think part of it has been that's been like the constant Knicks struggle. Is that the Knicks are supposed to be able to be like the Lakers, right? And say, Yeah, you wanna come here. You wanna be a Nick. And like you go past, Knicks culture. Or whatever <laughs> yeah, whatever that means. Right. But now you look at what is there that's appealing in New York that is so much appealing in other places? And that's if, that's been the problem that I don't think when you're a Knicks fan and you you look back, okay, you had Patrick Ewing, 
I don't remember Patrick Ewing. You know, I never right. grew up watching Patrick Ewing and those great teams. John Starks, I know about them from watching, you know, other things Walt now. Walt Frazier, Willis Reed in the 70s. But does that appeal to Cade Cunningham? Like no. a guy who could be a top three pick. Does <laughs> right. that appeal to even R.J. Barrett, a guy you brought in? Some of these younger players. Yeah, they might have some ties and they'll learn Nick's history because they're going to be impressed about it. Right. But it's not like if you're in the draft process, you're like, man, I want to be the next Patrick Ewing, you know? There's not, like, this modern history, and this is kind of one of these things that we're going to have to keep learning about uh, every year, I think, is that every year the Knicks were bad. It was a year or more that you moved away from future people just being like, the Knicks, the Knicks, the Knicks, because what is there to look forward to? So I would be cautious on the idea that the Knicks, and again, now that this is not the Phil Jackson era, Right, this is not losing by forty every night. There's some pieces of that makes sense here. Signing Joe Kim Noah to a supermax contract. <laughs> hey, Joe Kim Noah deserved it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, not at all. But like, since there's now some like, there, it makes sense a little bit. There right. could be some optimism, but it has to be cautious because no, that's what that's what the Knicks did for ten years, and then we wonder why the Knicks suck. Like. No, but I think, like, if you add a guy like Derrick Rose and you're, you create a team, like, with Tom Thibodeau that has had competent sets this year, honestly, like, with R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and Julius Randle, who could potentially be an all-star in the Eastern Conference, you you create... What a sentence. What a sentence. <laughs> yeah, if you were to ask me last year, like, who would be the front court starters in the Eastern Conference or who would make it for front court... I would not say Julius Randle would not come up in that conversation. So he's been having a remarkable year. I think he's averaging a double double still right now. I think he's at 23 and 11. So the the Knicks are always something to work out. I mean, just historically, they don't have, I think, the brand that the Lakers have, like you're talking about. I think the main draw is going to be, can you have a competent organization? And are there going to be free agents who want to live in New York City? Because I, I think like with the Lakers, we saw they had a horrible organization for about five or six years when they missed the playoffs for the, the longest stretch in franchise history. And then LeBron just decided, I want to live in Los Angeles. Yeah, but you know who he had? Kobe, Shaq. Right. Right. Even just on that note, there was this idea. And first of all, with California, New York, right? It's n- snow or palm trees. You know, it's kind of what you get down to, right? No, that's a good point. That's and, a good point. And, that, and then part of that's been part of the player power movement, right? That, hey, I don't want to live in Milwaukee. You know, maybe Milwaukee sucks. Like, and it's not, right. I no shame against Milwaukee personally, but like, that there's been one aspect too. But I think with, even with Lakers, when they were losing, they made some what a sense. You're drafting young guys. There's a core there. The core that's moved around has been pretty successful, right? Randall, we're talking about him almost being an all-star, but he's also had some peaks and valleys. He's had, he's been a decent prospect. Not every guy right. that they picked has been bad. Jordan Clarkson's now coming off of Utah. He's a flamethrowing scorer. He's one of the young guys. Lonzo Ball, I don't know. You know, <laughs> he's been all over the place. He has a lot of great potential. That was also a little bit of a problem. Brandon Ingram's an all-star. Right. The guys they brought in even in that process, even though they didn't work, were like made sense. Kyle Kuzma, even. These Josh are all guys. Hart. Yeah, they had lots of those guys. And all those guys made sense. The Knicks didn't do that. The Knicks, you know, Frank Nilakina, Kevin Knox, right? <laughs> Mitch Robinson's right. been good, you know, but you've missed on some of those picks. But even then, it made sense. So when LeBron was moving from Cleveland to L.A., it's like, okay, Rob Pelinka is not like, absolutely lost his mind there's not anything you don't know what's going on here he made moves that made sense and right. even if the team wasn't necessarily that good because they were too young too quick it did, it wasn't like you just totally lost everything and nothing made sense and i think that's one of the big differences when we talk about la boston and new york new york had nothing there so if you wanted to be, and there's gonna be guys who want to revive new york because that's one of the biggest markets if not the biggest media market in the world right there is there is an appeal to go there but what hinders that appeal is when you don't you can't trust the people who make decisions. You had some form of trust, especially if you're LeBron James who makes a lot of those decisions or is right. in the room. If they say, we're not going to put you in that room, or every guy we've put in that room has came out more disappointed, why would I go there, right? And there is, again, there is a definite want, and I know there's going to be somebody who wants to bring back New York. Okay, New York has one of the best basketball scenes ever. You have right. Rucker Park, right? Like just that. Friend, that's a worldwide basketball place known that's not Madison mm-hmm. Square Garden. And you have Madison Square Garden, right? right. There's going to be people who want to bring back New York, but you, you finally have some competence in the front office that you're like, okay, maybe I can do this. You never had that until up to maybe a year or two ago. That's why I think it's going to be super interesting because yeah. and you can't, I, it's hard to compare to L.A. With I, th- I, think we should, I, I think we should give the Knicks a chance moving forward because obviously they're under the new Leon Rose regime and just kind of see what their management strategy is for the next year or two. I like what they've done so far in terms of just making a winning team, but I, I think that is a good point of moving forward. Would it be better just to be bad? 
just to get those draft picks. Maybe try to get Cade Cunningham, like you're saying, who is probably going to go number one out of Oklahoma State this season, who if you've seen any of his highlights, he has horrible teammates, but he can just set up guys brilliantly. Very Ben Simmons on LSU-esque. Yeah, and Cade Cunningham, If I'm not as familiar with the uh, college landscape, but if I'm correct, I think he has a decent shot, too. I think the mechanics are slightly off, but much better than three Ben point Simmons. Shooter. He is, he's like a weird Luka-ish type player. He's just one of those guys, okay, and I know you're not as big on the college basketball forward. He's one of those dudes that, like, when you have him on the floor, you're like, all right, there's an opportunity here. You know, and the thing that's going to help him is he's playing in a really good Big 12. Right. Uh, that's very stacked, right? Kansas is not. That's great for us. Uh, shout out to Columbia Mo. Uh, <laughs> you know, but like Baylor's on a whole different world. Texas is back. Um, I say that cautiously. Um, there's a lot of like, uh, what is it? You have Texas Tech, who's really good. West Virginia, that's really good. Right. And Kate Cunningham's had pretty solid games against all those teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also going to be fighting the Thunder, which I think is probably the best storyline is the Knicks and the Thunder, who gets the best pick. But, um, yeah, I, and with the Knicks, though, the goal is now you have to get you're going to bring in a guy or two that Tibbs really likes, right? This is the Derek. This is why you bring in a Derrick Rose, right? But it's having those young guys makes sense with some of the guys you have around them. Is you don't want to get too young too quick because that's you know that's kind of what the Bulls are doing right now. Is you have a lot of young guys, but there's that who's your leader? Thad Young, right? <laughs> Thad, Thad Young is young. a great player. I love him, but Garrett is he Temple. A, you know? And Garrett <laughs> Temple's been playing his butt off. But is it that a guy you want mentoring Kobe White, Zach Levine, right. uh, Laurie Marketing, right? And if you're the Knicks, that's your goal right now. Is to no, get guys I agree. who can help Mitchell Robinson maybe get a mid-range jump shot, right? Because he's he's really good under the rim. He's a great rebounder. If you can spread him out a little bit in the game that's become you need to hit a mid-range shot, if he right. becomes more consistent, that's a win. If you get Emmanuel quickly to be a little, you know, a little more solid, a little bit better every year because you're Derek quicker. Rose. No. Uh, <laughs> you stink for that. Um I'm not coming back. No, <laughs> uh, but you, you you polish him a little bit with you know advice from Derrick Rose. How maybe right. just slow down the game, maybe right? If it's a three point lead, not to overdo it. Or RJ Barrett. This is how you run up a pick and roll. Kind of those niche things that because Barrett's a really good pick and roll player. Yeah. All those little things when you bring in guys that can kind of push that forward. There's an opportunity here. No, absolutely. You never had that, and that's why I think with the Knicks, like you don't want to necessarily lose. You want to grow, but you need pieces to help water the plants because right. a coach can't just water every plant he can only do so much you got you need veteran guys Derek rose is going to be his goal is to be a is to put water every day over rj barrett and emmanuel quickly and that's a good thing right you need to, you need guys like that and he's sounds like he's already accepted that role no i agree before we go to break i want to talk about the kyle lowry situation so there's a report from a jake fisher at bleacher report who has said there's a contingent within the Toronto Raptors organization that believes they could try to part ways with Kyle Lowry at the midseason deadline here. Kyle Lowry is on the last year of his deal. He's making $30 million right now, so lots of teams could be in the market for him. That contract is very tradable. The Raptors are working their way back from where they started this season. They're up to around the 10th, 8th. I think they're actually at the 8th seed right now. Wow, they're moving up there. They were at like the 15th, 14th for a while. They started out 2-8. and eight. They've really turned the season around. They have Pascal Siakam, OG Anuabi, and Fred Van Fleet under contract for three more years at minimum. And I understand why they would want to move on from him from the perspective that Kyle Lowry would have value and they would be able to get pieces back for him that would stick with this team a little bit longer. Kyle Lowry's 34 years old. I think it's pretty clear the Toronto Raptors are not going to win the championship this year. They'll probably make the playoffs, but they're not going to have that 2019 championship run they had again at this point. One thing I'm interested about with Kyle Lowry is Toronto is a little different than I think a lot of teams we think about as a business. Right. And I also think that the trade for Kawhi Leonard absolutely changed how we looked at Toronto. As in, now I don't think Masai Ujiri is going to be able to pull out a really good deal like he did with the Kawhi deal. Because people are going to be skeptical. You know, basically, the Spurs kind of got duped. And it's not like, and you could, that's a little more controversial, but like, you got a guy for one year on a rental. And then there's also the question of just, is Masai Ujiri going to be around? Because his contract is up at the end of this year as being a member of this Toronto Raptors organization. There's been lots of rumors of, are the Washington Wizards interested in getting him? So well, why does he go there? I think and, and, right. and that's also part of the problem. And I think this is going to tie into the Kyle Lowry trade. You know, he's a UD. There's very, I, you have a bunch of shooters on here, right? Like the Clippers, the Heat, the Nuggets, the 76ers, the Celtics, the Mavs, right? Some of these teams, I go like, yeah, the Clippers make sense, right? Because right. it's all in or all out. The Heat, they're still kind of young, right? Yeah, they haven't performed as well, but do you really take, but the thing about Kyle Lowry is he's a lot of money and he's old, right? And 
with Toronto also, there's a lot of family-esque feeling there, I think, more than other franchises. They're a big market team that has a small market feel. Right. right, because they're the they're the team in Toronto. Remember when Kawhi was making they're the that team run? in Canada? <laughs> yeah, remember when they were making that run and they were almost telling they were like Kawhi could eat here free, and they were putting right. stickers on all these places. Right, that doesn't happen a lot of places. Right, and Kyle Lowry's been such a block in that organization, like a piece, a stable piece. Like yeah, you know he's had his moments. We've always had mm-hmm. playoff Lowry. Right, it's not like he's been beautiful, but. He's part of that family, right? You know, and so I think it's a little different moving him uh, just as an asset because it's now you got to explain to people in Toronto why didn't you let him just walk with us? Because how many years do you think Kyle Lowry has left as a no, short point guard that really relies on driving, right? And that's pick the and role point. Play? Yeah, and Kyle, Lowry, I listen to a lot of the uh, the No Dunks podcast on the Athletic, and all of them are like from Canada, so they always talk about is Kyle Lowry the greatest Raptor of all time, and I think for Raptors fans, that would be an understandable position to have because he is one of those early guys who they've made seven consecutive playoff appearances at this point, who really built that culture with DeMar DeRozan and Dwayne Casey back in the day. And then he was obviously there for the title run. My thing is, what do you get from him? What do you get from any of these teams that are contending? That's that's what it leads me to. So I think teams like the Sixers, the Pacers, and the Nuggets would probably not be in this conversation very much. I think the Nuggets and the Heat are very much in the we would prefer Bradley Beal fit-wise over a guy like Kyle Lowry. And then I think the 76ers and the Pacers have different reasons. Like, the Pacers are probably going to look at this like Kyle Lowry's old. We have young guys in Sabonis and Brogdon and TJ Warren and Miles Turner who are going to be good for the next five, six years. Why do we want to get old man Kyle Lowry if we're giving up one of those young guys? And then I think the 76ers... They're the first seed in the Eastern Conference right now. I don't think they want to mess that up right now, trying to trade, like, Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons. That just doesn't make a lot of sense. I think the three teams we're going to look at here are the Clippers, the Celtics, and the Mavericks. For the Celtics to make it work, it would basically be Kemba Walker and Picks, which I don't necessarily hate if they want to win the title in the next year or two because Kemba Walker, which we'll talk about after break in that last game, did not perform very well. And if he's not a good offensive player... He doesn't bring a lot to the game where Kyle Lowry is still an incredible defender, even at this stage. The Dallas Mavericks are in a similar position where they'd have to give up Josh Richardson and probably either James Johnson or Tim Hardaway just to make the contracts work and maybe a pick, something like that. The Clippers are in an interesting situation because they could also swing this, but in order to do that, they have to package a bunch of contracts. For sure, Pat Beverly and Lou Williams. Then they probably have to throw in Ivica Zubox just to make the money work, but if you give up Ivica Zubox, that puts a lot of pressure on Serge Ibaka staying healthy because then after that, you're playing Serge at the five, but their backup five situation right now has been entirely Ivica Zubox minutes-wise. So. And you know what all these Western Conference teams have to do? Do you have right. to prepare for Anthony Davis? Exactly. And like, and as much as you know, that sounds like, a, oh my God, AD's a god. Well, you know, if you don't want to have focus just on Anthony Davis, how about Nikola Jokic? It's right. really hard. Like with the Clippers, I think they have the best case, right? It makes sense for them to try to make this because they're already all in on this Kawhi PG right. experiment, and you can kind of move some pieces around that. But they don't have any depth, anyways. Didn't we kind of realize that when they when they really screwed up last year and even this year? Like, you know, like who on that bench outside of Pat Bev, who's a starter, right? Lou Will is a six man, and Zubox, who really stands out to you? You lost some of the depth. Half of it's the Lakers. I mean, you're really looking at, like, at that point, Marcus Morris, Luke Kennard, and it's like, in a playoff series, I've not seen Luke Kennard play playoff basketball before. I've seen Kyle Lowry play. <laughs> I've seen him be the second best player on a championship team as recently as two years ago. So uh, the Clippers, though, the other wrinkle to this is you're trading away a lot of your established guys, and Kyle Lowry is a free agent after this season. So... If he doesn't like it, if there's problems there, that could be a really bad move for the Clippers, especially considering that Kawhi Leonard is also going to be a free agent after this season. He'll probably stay with the Clippers and just take a max deal, but that's really risky if you're the Clippers. I think the Celtics would be my preferred destination because I think that bumps them up to that fourth team in the East that's contending. Obviously, you have the Nets, the Bucks, and the Sixers, but the Celtics and the Pacers have sort of been like right there knocking on that door. I think if you add that defense and that consistency from Kyle Lowry, that could really bump them up to that next tier. The one thing I know we got to get to break right, right, right. is um, with the Celtics, I'd be interested to see if they just do it out of like 
sheer spite for each other, right? <sighs> they had that really big seven-game series, right? Right. We kind of had this feeling like they're not that far apart, right? Mm-hmm. So I would be, I would, I don't know if Danny Ainge does it, right, or Masai Ujiri even though <laughs> does it just because it's like, do you really trade to a team that's one or two steps close, right. that, that's like right next to you? Because if they feel Kemba's gonna make them better, do you really want to help them? And mm-hmm. even if you think Kyle Lowry's gonna make you better, I don't think either team's gonna go like rise this whole like stratosphere better from that trade so out of sheer spite for each other because you're going to see each other in the playoffs do you make that move i think is the question and the celtics and the raptors have played each other a ton of times at this point in the playoffs so that's definitely a fair point but folks we're going to go ahead to break when we return we're going to talk about the games last night and do a little bit of preview for the games tonight you're listening to no filler with joe miller on kcu 88.1 fm Hello, everyone. Welcome back to No Filler with Joe Miller, joined here by Gerald Hopkins. How's it going? I'm, I'm still here. You haven't kicked me off the show yet, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing pretty good. We'll see if that changes by the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, I got to put a little pressure, you know. We're sending the full-court press to make sure I don't mess right, up. Right, right. No, definitely. So we had two pretty interesting games last night. So first we had the Rockets-Pelicans. The Pelicans were able to beat the Houston Rockets by 130 to 101. Obviously, Victor Oladipo and Christian Wood are out for this team, but Rockets are finding themselves in the play-in game around the 10th seed. They've won four straight at this point. Do you think the Pelicans have a shot of staying in the play-in tournament and maybe even moving up to the 8th, 7th seed? I hope so. I hope so because this is a team that's supposed to kind of make sense and just hasn't at all. Um, I think there's just a lot of growing pains. Uh, Like, Do you have a team that's supposed to be really good defensively? You brought in one of the top-minded defensive coaches in Van Gundy. Right. You have Lonzo Ball, who's supposed to be a really good on-ball defender. Zion Williams is supposed to be this freak of, of nature athletically, who's supposed to be able to just get out of nowhere. Jackson Hayes, Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe. They're misfit bunch of group, uh, players. I don't really know what they're doing. And <sighs> it kind of it's kind of funny because it's like there's a lot of talent. Just like your talent ceiling is really high. It doesn't mesh at all, right? Yeah. Like the only guys that make sense realistically would be like Lonzo Ball, um, J.J. Redick. And Zion on the floor at the same time because you could run a pick and roll with Zion at the four, maybe, um, you know, or even at the five, right? If you small ball five him, and you you run that pick and roll out, uh, yeah, you leads to a lob, a floater, or a kick out three in the corner, right. right? So there's, but you don't have any, you know, and like, and then I know we have like Nikhil Alexander Walker, right? He's playing real right. good. You're no, like, exactly. Yeah. So there's just so many pieces there. I hope they figure it out. You're, you're in a new coach in the middle of a pandemic, in a league right now that doesn't make any sense. They are making rules like the like. The NBA is going through this whole process like a, a group project that needs to get done by a certain <laughs> deadline, but nobody wants to actually do the work. Right. You've been in one of those, right? And you've no, probably absolutely. been the one who does, who's had to do the work at the last minute. That's the NBA's doing. Oh, yeah, let's not let anyone hug or high five at the end of the game. But let's all meet up in Atlanta this March for the All Star game. <laughs> it's it's a last minute group project. Like, right. And it's so it's. When the Pelicans are a perfect example of this, this is a team that needs time to gel and make sense. Absolutely. You, you need a preseason. You need a training camp. No, All I these agree. things, they don't have that. Um, on the other case, because we'll move on to the Rockets real quick. Right. The Rockets are fun. You know, like <laughs> the Rockets, they shouldn't be as good as they are. Um, and Steven Silas is coaching his butt off. Give him all the credit. I'm very happy that they're playing well because I felt like they put him in a really bad spot. And we need more coaches of color already, right? right? And you finally got a great coach of color who's been widely recommended throughout the league as a guy who should be a head coach. You put him in a situation where one of the biggest stars in the NBA is being a complete, you know what, pain in the butt, um, in a frustrating case, who really dictated how this organization ran. They ran the ball through Harden. You knew, and we were talking about small ball, right? That was a, This was like the dream of what the Phoenix Suns were supposed to be, was through James Harden. Right. And now it's gone. And Daryl Morey, the guy who kind of made it help, made it work, gone. And you put Steven Silas in a spot where you can't rebuild. He had one of these best guys in the league. Right. And then you got John Wall. And then now you have John Wall, Boogie Cousins, Christian Wood, who's a risk. A risk I was happy they took. Right? And like all this stuff happens, and they're still playing well, and they still look good. I'm very happy about that for them. No, Will I, they stay there? I don't know. I but, agree. I think, for me, it was frustrating watching the Rockets play without Christian Wood, because to me, Christian Wood is the one guy on this team who's really hitting his stride and hitting the peak of his career right now. A lot of other guys on this team, it just feels like they're going downhill, unfortunately. Like, John Wall is obviously not who he was as an all-star. He still has his moments, but he's just not the same player he was back in Washington. And then Eric Gordon is obviously getting up there age-wise, P.J. Tucker as well. And DeMarcus Cousins really hurts me because I loved watching him back in Sacramento, back when he was healthy. But 
because it was just all the injuries he sustained, he's had a lot of time off. He didn't play last season at all. It's He's just not the same guy offensively or defensively. It really showed there were several plays the Pelicans ran with pick-and-roll action where DeMarcus Cousins would not be able to recover whatsoever to get back to the basket. And it's just sad to see because DeMarcus Cousins was the best center in the NBA for a solid stretch of time. And now he's just not that guy anymore. So that, that's my reason I don't like watching the Rockets because I just feel like a lot of these guys aren't where they once were, and I just get sad watching it. It's like John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, I loved you guys like three or four years ago, but now they're just not as f- much fun to watch, which really hurts. Well, was it? DeMarcus Cousins becomes a cautionary tale for Chris uh, Porzingis. Right. right. You see a guy who's gone through a bunch of these injuries back and forth, and now you're like, and this is where the Mavs are at this kind of crucial point, even though you don't think about it, is like, if if he turns into DeMarcus Cousins, it doesn't matter how good Luka is, right? That all they'll start doing to Luka is like let him get his or let all you know no, let, let him get his. Get like he'll drop 30, 40 in these playoff series, but everyone else around him who's guardable, you know, it is not one of these premier talents in the NBA. They'll lock up on right. Right. You need that second or third guy, and they put that risk into a seven foot foot three dude who has a bunch of lower body injuries. So like it's just kind of and frustrating. What can the Mavericks? This is a question I'm going to have to answer later on uh, around the waves. I'll be on that show later at two today. But with the Mavericks, they're owing thirty million dollars a year to Porzingis for the next three seasons. I just don't know how they move off of that contract because who who's really defensively? Kristaps Porzingis is gone. He in New York. His block highlights were incredible. This was a guy who could get blocks run down the court and pull up from three. It was incredible to watch because we'd never seen someone seven, four who just had that range of abilities on the defensive side of the court. I don't think there's any way he can recover there. And we still see he's obviously not a great post player. He never really has been. And rebounding has been a little bit of a concern, but I just don't know what the Mavericks can do at this point with a guy like Porzingis. It's just tough. Yeah. This. There's it, it, the thing about Porzingis, which you hope he learns is positioning. It's something right. that Zion Williamson is struggling a lot with right now, and that's one of the reasons that the Pelicans have been struggling on defense. Is what, what made Porzingis good is he had those legs, right? So when he wasn't in the right position, he was seven foot four, right? right. Now it's he's not in the right position, but his doesn't matter that he's seven foot four. He's two or three steps be- behind where he's used to being. He, if he learns how to defensively position himself in the pick and roll situation, right? So if he's rolling back because the guy's coming straight at him, right? He's guarded Bledsoe, let's just say. It's Bledsoe, right. Zion pick and roll, and he goes back. He's fading in the back here. It's now getting that extra step or two back. So if they try to throw the lob, he's actually in position compared to if he's too high, too short. So he doesn't have to jump as high. Because he's, he can get away with it, you know, with the Knicks jumping high enough, you know, just to get away with it. So there's gonna be there's ways to work around some of these things. Right. The biggest thing is he has to just stay healthy, right? Before we can really nitpick his defensive scheming, his right. offensive, his rebounding, you need him on the floor for most of the season. No, I agree. I agree. And I just I think it's tough because he's not an elite rebounder, obviously. So and as a guy who's seven four, with him being, I guess, as slow as he is, just because of his height, because of all the lower leg injuries he's had, it's difficult to create a team, I think, fit around him with him at the four. Like they've been putting Maxi Kleber in, in the five for the last several games, the Mavericks, just to try to get some rebounding in there. But I just think it's difficult because you have to play a slower pace at that point, and it throws everything off a little bit. But yeah, we should probably move on to the next game that was very entertaining. It The box score might indicate that the Jazz kind of had control of this game, but Donovan Mitchell did an excellent job closing out this game against the Celtics last night. He hit two clutch three-pointers at the end there. He hit a 30-footer passed off of by Royce O'Neal, and then he hit a step-back three to really ice this game. I'm really impressed with where the Jazz are right now. They're 20-5 and five so far in the NBA, number one record. I think they're going to get two All-Stars in the All-Star game, and I, th- I think they have a case to be a title contender at this point. What do you think about that? There's not there's absolutely an opportunity. The, what the Utah Jazz are, there's this experiment of having really good teams without a superstar. Right. And Donovan Mitchell can break that experiment if he keeps playing at this level, and he rises to this point of superstardom. I've always thought you needed one guy, right, at least one guy on an NBA floor that can really change the game. You need a LeBron. You need a Kawhi. Somebody on that level. You need Luka. Even maybe even Trey Young. Uh, that might be a stretch. Uh, let, me, <laughs> let me redact that from the record. Um, but you need somebody like that when the game is, you know, it's two minutes and it's three, you know, you're down five. You're like, we have Donovan Mitchell, right? And 
sometimes you've been like, yes, we have Donovan Mitchell. Other times it's been, we have Donovan Mitchell, right? <laughs> if right. It, once you get to that point and he's moving there, I think, you know, they, they've been really critical. People have been really critical, not just Shaq, of Donovan right. Mitchell and his, like, growth. The dude's been in the playoffs the last every year he's been there, right? He's young, and he's a dude that not a lot of people took chances on. We're mad at him for not being a superstar yet. He's been in the league for three years, and he's grown every year. And he's much better than draft mate that we were talking about earlier, Dennis Smith Jr. By a mile. Right. And the thing about the the Jazz, every other team, part of that team is finally making sense. Mike right. Connolly, which was a great move at the time. Last year, I was like, oh, he, he, was playing, he wasn't playing like himself. Right. And then everyone's like, well, that was a bad move. Well, now, now it makes sense again because he's no, playing like absolutely. himself. Bogdan Bogdanovich, who wasn't in the bubble, he's in the bubble now. He's, in the, he's playing <sighs> right. now. You know, that hurt the Jazz. We went to seven games against, you know, in a team. And if you have a guy like that who get, who's like their third or fourth scorer, it doesn't hurt. You know, kind of helps. Rudy Gobert is doing his job. Joe Ingles is still talking trash to Paul George. Everything about that team finally is making sense. This is the picture they've been trying to paint for a long time. And the one guy who's... Rising up slowly, he's not just doing this rocket ascend like GameStop to <laughs> is Donovan Mitchell. And if he keeps improving, this team is an absolute title contender. Until no, I then, agree. I'm not sure. Because they you know, you and now you have to look at who they're playing, right? You got Jokic covered up, and then it's Jamal versus versus Donovan Mitchell. Until you can say Donovan Mitchell versus Jamal Murray, it's Donovan Mitchell. I can't guarantee him a title. That's right. You need that one up. On whatever position your best player is in, you have to be to say with no doubt that's a better player, right? And I, then that's I think my this only problem. season though. I think this season there's like no doubt that Mitchell is better than Jamal Murray at least so but he's far streaky. into this year. Jamal Murray can come out of nowhere and be really and be just as good if not better right. than Donovan Mitchell. That's I, and that's where that's you're running fair. into no, it. No, no, no. I see what you're saying there, definitely. But I, I just think like especially with how the Celtics were playing this game, Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum just could not get into a rhythm. I think this is where, like what I was talking about with Kyle Lowry earlier, I think this is where the Celtics would benefit from having that kind of guy because then you have someone who, Donovan Mitchell plays similar game to Dwayne Wade and how he drives in and how he creates a lot of mid-range in his game. He's added the three recently and he's shooting very well this year, but if you have a guy like Kyle Lowry, you can draw some charges, play a little bit better defense, and even if Kyle Lowry has those games where he's not shooting the ball well, he still leaves an imprint on the game when Kemba Walker isn't shooting well, he's a decent passer. But aside from that, defensively, he's a liability. We saw that especially in the playoffs where teams would pick on him. I just, I just think the Celtics would benefit from having a better third option than Kemba Walker. I'm not sure if Kyle Lowry is the solution there, but I, I just see too many problems with having Kemba, especially when you see that he's basically their third offensive weapon because Jason Jason Tatum is obviously their number one. Jalen Brown has taken a massive step forward this year, averaging nearly 27 points per game. I, I just think they could use someone a little bit better, maybe in that third role, who can also play some defense, like a Kyle Lowry. I think I'm going to hold my right to really judge the Celtics <laughs> because of, ta- of the Tatum COVID issues this year. No, I, when you take out your number one and you're trying to, and like also Kemba's coming off an injury too. Absolutely. Um, and this is again, this is kind of like the weirdness of this year. I'm going to hold my right to really judge what I think about the Celtics about for about another week or two. So uh, now you know who your That's next guess is for two weeks from now. Um, but and I'm going to do that for the same team because I'll transition it for you. Um, the Hawks and the Mavs. I'm going to I've been holding my judgment on the Hawks for a long time now because all their pieces that they've acquired all at once. You know, they haven't all been there. And right. so I like with both teams, like with the Celtics, with all these injuries and COVID issues and with the Hawks having injury and COVID issues, I don't really know where to put them because you still have to gel together. You still have to get that time together. A lot of offensive firepower. Right. But yet at the same time, it's like, I don't know what to think about as they go against a Mavs team that has kind of come back to earth. I know we've been talking right. about the Mavs, but the, one of the biggest reasons why the Mavs are as good. They're not shooting record three level. They're not shooting. Each one of their team members is not shooting at like the record high three percentage. No. Dorian Finney Smith shooting like he usually does. Joshua Richardson shooting like he normally does, if not a little lower. Right? When you had Dorian Finney Smith shooting like 10% better than he's used to. Yeah, this part of this is going to be a problem. You're jet. We got really high on the role players in the match. Right. And they kind of came back to earth. And now everyone's like, are the Mavs in trouble? Panic, panic, panic. <laughs> no, they were just really hot. And now they have to adjust to the fact that maybe they're not as good as they thought they were. And moving Seth Curry didn't help because that was one of those guys you wanted to have for shooting. Now you don't have him anymore. And now it's not, it's another option to space the floor that you lost in the process. Yeah, so obviously, yeah, with the Hawks playing the Mavs tonight, I have I think the difference between these two teams is the Hawks have done very well 
with the pieces they have, even while missing some guys and some guys aren't playing up to their potential right now, where the Dallas Mavericks have just regressed in every way, shape, or form. Luka Doncic has gotten better, for sure. Aside from that, every category, the Dallas Mavericks are down this year. They finished with the number one offensive rating last season in NBA history, and of course for the season. This year, they're average. They're 15th in offensive rating. They had about an average defense last season coming in around 18th. Now they're 26th. And when you see guys like Josh Richardson, like you said, shooting 29% from three, that's not helping. <laughs> Dorian Finney-Smith is at that 33 range instead of where he was last season around 38. So when you have the shooting going down a little bit, the defense isn't quite as good. The, to me, the defense is the most shocking because I think if you add a guy like Josh Richardson, that should be going up, right? Well, you know, you were talking about not having Porzingis. Even though Porzingis had the best defensive player of all time, he's still 7 for 4, right? Right. And it also helps your defense, good offense. You know, when you hit more threes and you have to force the team to take a full inbounds, instead of having a long rebound that turns into a fast break, that changes your defensive rating too, right? There's so many little things with the, the Mavericks that they just kind of hit a reality point. They peaked really high, and now everyone's selling off. Again, GameStop. Like, this is all, it's all, everything all relates back stonks. to GameStop. Stonks, all, all baby. That's the right. Stonks, yeah. And you know, the so Hawks, the Hawks though, like, have had, they've gotten production out of guys who I wasn't really expecting. Like, DeAndre Hunter, who's going to be out this game, is averaging 17 points per game on 51% shooting, 36 from three. Trey Young's obviously having a great year. Kevin Herter, John Collins, and Clint Capella have all been excellent. And like you're saying, Danilo Gallinari has barely hit the court for this team so far this season. Rajon Rondo has not been playing very well. Cam Radish has not been shooting as well as he was towards the end of last season. They're not getting the most out of a lot of these guys, but they're still seventh in the Eastern Conference. And the last eight games have been pretty brutal. They won three out of them. They beat the Clippers, the Wizards, and the Raptors. But if you look at some of the teams they lost to, they were probably some of the best teams in the league with the Jazz, the Lakers, the Nets, the Bucks. I mean, and they were in a lot of those games too. So I don't know. I'm much higher on the Hawks right now just because they have shown that they can go toe-to-toe with a lot of these teams where the Mavericks have... We saw them lose back-to-back games against the Jazz last week. I, I, I'm, I just, I'm going to need to see something change there. I don't know what they can really do to add rebounding, just given the roster limitations. But I think I'm probably going to take the Hawks tonight. Who do you think is going to win this game? I like the Hawks on it because I think, like you said, the Hawks are just kind of hot. Um, right. It's just kind of hard. It, it's a, this is a weird game because they don't have Hunter. I think Hunter's really grow, he's grown up, even though he was one of the older guys when he was drafted. Um, so it, you know. And I'm going to transition it again for you because, yeah, I do two podcasts. I understand how to do that. Right? My question with the Hawks is my same with the Bucks. They made a lot of moves. Are they actually all really worth it? Right? So you're talking about how some of these guys have played really well and they haven't had their full pieces. Now those pieces have to work. Right? right. We, it's easy to us to just throw talent in and be like, talent equals win. Right. And, like, more times than that, especially in the NBA, it does. But it doesn't always. Right? So it's – and there's always that weird level of, like, is there enough talent, and does that talent work, right? right. Like, so, and I may I asked this question with the Bucks too because you brought in Drew Holiday, right? You got rid of some of your bench depth. Technically, your talent ceiling is a little bit higher when you have one of the better like right. two guards in the league, two one guards, combo guards, whatever, and you have Giannis Antetokounmpo. But at the same time, you lost a lot of the, your depth. And did you make a move that was worth it? And on the other hand, they're playing the Suns, one of my favorite teams to watch, right? Because no. I am, first of all, a secret. Shh, shh, we'll keep this one quiet. <laughs> I'm a DeAndre Aiden stan. Okay? Oh, secretly. Um, I, not that I think he should have been the first pick, but I really like what he's done for the Suns. Um, I think he's really, really good. I really like good? Okay. Good. Okay. So, okay. Confidential, now confidential. No one yeah. can uh, repeat re- that. Re- again, redacted from the record. <laughs> um, but, like, I want that to be, I want us to, like, the Suns are fun, okay? And they got right. Chris Paul and they didn't destroy their future to get him. That's right. what I'm so happy about because the Suns, I talked about him, I think. A month or two, a couple months ago, and I was like, "Well, the Suns, like, you just don't destroy what you have going on." There's some pieces of semblance here. Mikhail Bridges is finally looking like a Villanova grad, right? He's finally hitting some corner threes. He's a pretty good defender. This is what Josh Hart's supposed to be. This is what all the guys from Villanova are supposed to be. Right. They're all the same. Um, <laughs> hot take, but like, they're finally working together really well, and they have a guy who, and Chris Paul that he doesn't have to be the Chris Paul of New Orleans. He just has to be a right. guy who moves the ball around. And Ricky Rubio did a good job of that. I was a little skeptical when they moved him. But they got a better version of Ricky Rubio for, like, a draft pick. And yeah, like, and, and nothing- especially when you look back at that trade now with Kelly Oubre 
Kelly Oubre has had some really low lows this season. And that was basically what they gave up. Well, they got they Chris sold Paul. him off at the right time. Yeah. Again, again, game stock everywhere. <laughs> it's all about the stonks, baby. Buy, they they buy, sold Oubre. Buy, buy low, sell high. And, and they gave him the chance to really flourish, and they didn't expect him to shoot a lot of threes. Oubre doesn't work well in the Warriors system because he's not a dead-eye shooter. Right. right. And he's not also the most amazing guy moving uh, moving shots, moving dribbles, and stuff like that. So with the shots he was taking in uh, Phoenix for shots he wanted. To he take. was definitely better when he was a Valley boy. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was really just the jersey. I think that. No, absolutely. Was. The Suns jerseys are hot. So yeah, just to just to quickly go into that game before we go. So the Bucks are going to be facing the Suns. In my opinion, the Bucks have been one of the sneaky good teams of this year because aren't they always? Can, can I just stop okay, you there? But nor- normally, <laughs> the Bucks are like consistently like winning the most games in the NBA or the number one seed. They're kind of a little under the radar right now because. They're all the way down at the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. Philly's getting a lot of attention. Brooklyn, oh, the Lakers, but they're number two. But, oh my God! But, but I I like the Bucks as a team because I think in the playoffs you're gonna have four all all defensive guys there, and I do like the Suns as a team. But I just think I I don't I think as a matchup this there's gonna be a bit of a struggle there because I don't think they really have the personnel to contain Giannis necessarily. Where Aiton is good, but. This season, he's taken a little bit of a dip rebounding wise. I don't want to set you off there, so I'm not going to go too no, much okay. into my. Yeah, okay. my <laughs> I can take criticism, right? But <laughs> my um, DeAndre Ayton criticism. <laughs> and this is my thing. I think also I'm just tired of the Bucks being really good in the regular season and just kind of like being flaunt, like floundering in the playoffs. And also, remember I was talking about all Villanova guys are the same. And we right. can really end on this point. They put way too much emphasis on Dante Divincenzo. Absolutely. If it, all Villanova guys are the same. He's supposed to be hitting corner threes and being a, a solid defender. Now they're expecting him because he had that one really good game in the championship where he was hitting corner threes and right. playing good defense to be like a cornerstone. They have no doubt. And okay. he's, I, I think we can agree there. I think he's definitely like a fringe starter. I don't know if he's quite there yet. I think that's fair. Well, they have no depth on the second team. He's supposed to be the sixth yeah, man. It's like, a, Bobby Portis. it's like Bobby Portis is their guy coming off the bench this season. And which... I love Bobby Portis. I, Bobby Portis punched one of my own guys <laughs> in, at the Bulls. I still love him because he played with heart. No, it's not enough, though. I, I, I agree. I think in the playoffs it might be less of a concern just because bench guys are – the, the, the rotation shrinks in the playoffs. Except for Mike Budenholzer. Keep that in mind. <sighs> if you're, you're talking about Mike Budenholzer, oh baby. You relax. Uh, this another is day, line. another Mike Budenholzer problem. Well, folks, we have to go. Gerald, thank you so much for coming Appreciate on the show. You. Thank you for listening to No Filler with Joe Miller. Stay tuned.